0: You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN.
1: Another hour to go together. Larry Hardesty warming up in the bullpen. He comes your way at noon. 1-800-919-3776. Hope everyone is in the midst of a wonderful Labor Day week and a lot to look forward to as we, we turn to quote-unquote normalcy starting on Tuesday an NFL game week, the stretch run for the Major League Baseball season, which... Compared to 72 hours ago for both the Yankees and the Mets has a little bit more juice with the emergence of some of the youngsters who have come up. ESPN New York is celebrating the return of Jets football with Michael K. Show live from the lounge at Meadowlands Racetrack on Monday, September 11th before the Jets kick off their season against the Bills on Monday Night Football. Start your tailgate early with the K. Show and the FanDuel Sportsbook. At the Meadowlands Racetrack, America's number one sportsbook. All right, a couple of things. So, Team USA lost that game 110 to 104 to Lithuania. It was their first international loss since they fell to France in the 2020 Olympics, which was actually played in 2021. US, of course, went on to win the gold medal then. A terrific shooting display by Lithuania. They were 14 for 25 on three-pointers. Jonas Valanciunas had 12 points and seven rebounds. The former Nick Mindaugis Kuzminskis, had 14 points, and Anthony Edwards led Team USA with 35. It doesn't damage the U.S.'s chances to win the World Cup. They are still in the quarterfinals. They get a little bit of a more difficult draw because they finish behind Lithuania in their group standings, but they are still in the quarterfinals. This is is the world now, and I think everybody's accepted it. I mean, there was a time in history, even as recently as 2021, because I remember, like today... When the U.S. lost to France, I believe it was on a Sunday morning, and I was in the middle of a show, this exact show. I'm almost positive. And I just remember the instant reaction to the U.S. losing a game to France was the sky is falling. And that's not really the proper way to look at it anymore. As has been discussed and discussed and discussed, the rest of the world has significantly closed the gap on the United States, and it's been happening for 30 years. Now, fortunately, the U.S. isn't in the place where it was in 2002 when it finished, I believe, sixth in the world championships. It wasn't. Uh, it's not in the place where it was in 2004 when they got the bronze medal at the Olympics. They win the important championships. They won the Olympics in 2008, in 2012, in 2016, and the 2020 gold medal. That was very difficult, and they only did that because of the exploits of Kevin Durant in that 2021 tournament. So they're still in position to win. It's not overly surprising. I made the point last hour. If you go back, the MVP of the regular season, last year, Joel Embiid, the two previous years, Nikola Jokic, the two years before that, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Five straight years, the MVP of the league has been born outside of the United States every single time. So it's not a surprise anymore when the United States loses the game. Is it going to be disappointing if they lose the tournament and don't win? Yes, it will. It's, we're still at that point where we should still win the tournament. Because we got some players. We don't have the best of the best. You know, Durant and LeBron and Steph Curry. They're not playing, although they're all long in the tooth, as we know. But this United States team has players. It's got Brunson and it's got Mikhail Bridges. And it's got Tyrese Halliburton. It's got Anthony Edwards It's got Brandon Ingram. It's got the defensive player of the year in Jaron Jackson Jr. This isn't a team that's comprised of like the C squad of Americans. This is probably the A minus to the B squad. So this is a team that should win this tournament. And hopefully they do. It's Sunday Funday on 98.7 ESPN, presented by Grand Marnier. Grand Marnier takes cocktails from ordinary to unforgettable, adding a layer of sophistication to some of the world's most well-loved cocktails. Pat O'Keefe with you. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Artie in Brooklyn. Good morning, Artie.
0: Good morning, my man, Pat. What's going on? How you doing, buddy? So, All right. So I, I heard you, and I think the, the Jeff fans are getting to you that say, the easy on, on the Super Bowl or bust. I think what, what happens is, like, just from all that negativity, obviously, with the Jets, I mean, having not had a home game since 2002, yeah. I mean, that's where you're, you're afraid of the expectations, yep. and I'm one of them, but knowing that it's a two-year plan, okay, and that they truly are going for it, I heard a rumor. And I want to get your take on it because I think – I called about the Cook thing. And I think Dalvin Cook would have made a two-game uh, two difference. I'm a little bit going negative now on that because I read I have him on my fantasy league. That's a negative right there. And then um, the reading up on it, it's not like I'm getting the Dalvin Cook from like, two years ago that, that went nuts. But Aaron Donald, I heard the rumor. If you could get this guy because I, am, I was down on the Jet defense, you not so much. That, when they gave up that 49 yard pass to Detroit, that destroyed me. And then the Jaguar game, you could trash Wilson all you want. Go look at the stats. They ran it down our throats, 150 yards down our throats. We get Donald. We are a top three defense. True or not true?
1: Yes, true, Artie, and thanks for the call. You might be a top three defense even without Aaron Donald. The strength of this team is the defensive line. Would Aaron Donald help? He would, of course. He's arguably the best at that position in NFL history. Could he become available? I wouldn't rule it out because I don't think the Rams are going anywhere. And the Rams had to basically sell off everything that wasn't nailed down to win their Super Bowl. And they won the Super Bowl, so there's no regrets. You know, it's similar to the... Toronto Raptors basically trading a beloved franchise player in DeMar DeRozan and other things for Kawhi Leonard, pretty much knowing that he was only going to be there for one year. But when that one year results in a championship, then all bets are off. There are no regrets. The Rams did that. They sold off all of their first-round picks from here till I don't know when. They're very devoid of draft capital going forward. They are going to be one of the worst teams in the NFC this year. They're going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL this year. So if we get into the midway point of the season and they can recoup some of that draft capital by trading off some of their high-priced established veterans, then I think they would look at that in the same way that Von Miller was traded a couple of years ago in the middle of the season. It's a very similar situation and it then goes back to, you have to ask the question, why did Aaron Rodgers give back $35 million for that type of scenario? And I've heard Jets fans say, well, he gave back 35 and you only gave Dalvin Cook eight. What are they doing with the other $27 million? That's what they would do with the other $27 million. See where they are in the middle of the season. They still have flexibility. They still have some of that money to pay with, uh, play with. The Rams are a terrible team. And they might not actually be the worst team in their division because the Arizona Cardinals are a terrible team also. I don't even know who the Cardinals quarterback is. I guess it's going to be Josh Dobbs to start the season. Switching gears, college football. And it's week one. Fun game tonight. You have LSU against Florida State. Florida State thinks that this is the year that they're going to be back. They had a good year last year. They won a wild game in this exact same spot last year over LSU to open the season Labor Day weekend. I think it was a missed extra point or a blocked extra point that Florida State had against LSU to seal up a one-point victory. So they're back at it again. Brian Kelly, of course, the coach of LSU, the former Notre Dame coach. But what happened yesterday in the Colorado TCU game was (laughs) – I I thought it was awesome. It was really one of the most eye-opening and loudest statements that could be made by a guy who has made loud statements. How long has Deion Sanders been in our lives since the 80s? And he's been loud and boisterous ever since then in college at Florida State with the Falcons, with the Braves, with the 49ers and the Cowboys. Then he was on TV for a while, and then he decides to try his hand at coaching, and because he's Dion, he doesn't do it the traditional way. He goes to an HBCU, and because he's Deion Sanders, when he calls a talented kid, they're going to take that phone call, and they're going to listen. So when he was at Jackson State, he got a lot of high-caliber athletes that any, any other coach could not get at that type of school. Because it's not the highest level of college football. He was getting players who were good enough to play at the highest level of college football. And they were coming to play for his program, a one double A program at Jackson State. And they did incredibly well. But then the question was, well, this can't possibly work at a big-time football program. Well, guess what? In the offseason, the University of Colorado which 30 years ago was one of the best programs in the country. And to say they've fallen on hard times would be an extreme understatement. They were 11-1 and last year, and I think they had lost 27 road games in a row against a top 20 or top 25 opponent. So they have nothing to lose. I mean, their stadium was empty last year. They were playing in the Pac-12, which wasn't their natural conference anyway. They lost game after game after game by 30 points. That was the perfect team to take a shot at Deion Sanders. And he came in and he met with the team and he essentially told them in their first meeting that 80% of you are not going to be on the team next year. So I would advise you to go into the transfer portal now and start looking elsewhere. Harsh? Yes, but these kids are all big-time players or at least Division I football players. They weren't big-time enough to stick with the program. And, look, college football, it's a high-stakes game. And he has just come in with a vastly different approach than any other coach that we have seen on this level. Why? Because he's different than those guys. You know, the top college football coaches, the Nick Saban's, um, the Lincoln Riley's, Those guys are career coaches. They come up through the ranks as assistants, as coordinators, get some experience in the NFL as a coordinator, take over a college program, and you are the king of your kingdom. And as he has done throughout his entire life, Deion Sanders, to get to this point, has traveled his own path. He skipped a lot of steps because he could. Raise your hand if you wouldn't. Seriously. Who would, If if your reputation or your previous career or your previous accomplishments allow you to be put in a position to skip steps to get where you want to be, who wouldn't take that opportunity? So he skipped some steps. He went right to the head coaching job at Jackson State, was there for a couple of years, proved that he could win, and then he found a program desperate enough to try his method to see if it would work on the biggest level. And guess what? One day, okay? Only one day yesterday. But boy, did it work. Because they went into TCU, the team that, yes, they were embarrassed in the game, but the team that played in the college football national championship game last season. And Dion's Colorado Buffaloes were 20 and a half point underdogs yesterday afternoon at TCU. And they win 45 to 42. And his son which is something else that raised eyebrows. He came in, he changed over 80% of the roster, and he inserted his son, Shador Sanders, as the starting quarterback. He basically told the quarterbacks that were there, get out, my son is starting. He's taking your job. Nepotism, of course some people cried that. What did Shador Sanders do yesterday? He threw for 510 yards and four touchdowns. And this isn't against, you know, look at some of the other teams that opened their seasons yesterday. Oregon played Portland State. Um, Texas played Rice. Uh, Alabama played Middle Tennessee. Michigan played East Carolina. Colorado had to go on the road and play the defending national runner-up last year, a program that for decades, going back to Gary Patterson, has been built on defense. And they moved up and down the field on them. And scored 45 points and beat them 45 to 42. It was an incredible debut for Deion Sanders' program in the face of a lot of skeptics. There are a lot of people throughout college football that are protective of the way things are usually done. The old guard, if you will. There are a lot of people who want to see Dion fall flat on his face in Colorado and Like I said about the Yankees' prospects, I'm not trying to overreact to them after two games, but that's all I have to go by. I'm not looking to overreact to Deion Sanders in Colorado after one game, but it was an incredible one game. So let's hear from Deion Sanders after yesterday's win. Uh, He doesn't want to hear from any naysayers.
0: What's up, boss? You believe that? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, no. Do you believe in that? Huh? Oh, no, no, no. I read through that bull junk you wrote. I I read through that. I sifted through all that. Yeah. Oh, no. Come on.
1: Do you believe? You don't believe. You just answered it. You don't believe. Next question. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine? I can't. I would love to know what that is like, even for a day. Can you imagine going through life with that amount of swagger and that amount of confidence? It's got to be so cool. I mean, again, and this thing could blow up in his face. You know, they could be two and four after week six. But after week one, he's on top of the world. And you know what? Maybe he's keeping some receipts.
0: I'm not vindictive like that. I just like them to know that I know that you really ain't with me. You really ain't with us. You really don't believe. You really don't want to see me win. You don't want to see me in victory or at peace and have joy. I know you don't want to see that, but I love you. ain't nothing different. Why would I expect something different? It was like that when I played, right? So I'm just I'm playing another game. I'm just out, off the field. I'm not on the field now, but I can affect what's on the field. And I'm thankful for that. I really am.
1: You know, it's really funny because this has been tried more at the highest level in recent years in college basketball. Uh, Hiring a head coach who was an all-time great player in that sport. I mean, we saw it here at St. John's with Chris Mullen. We saw it at Georgetown with Patrick Ewing. I would think that it would be easier to implement that in basketball. Not that there's not as much coaching, but the nuances of coaching a football team with 60, 70 players, with an offensive unit, a defensive unit, a special teams unit, to me, the nuances of doing all of that are far more complicated than running a 12-person basketball team. But Mullen failed spectacularly, and Ewing failed spect- spectacularly. Again, Deion Sanders, I'm not, I'm not sitting here claiming him a success, but there are a lot of people that don't, as he just said, in the media, other coaches, throughout college football, there are a lot of people who don't think this is going to work, and there are a lot of people who are hoping that this doesn't work. Because, look, Dion's always been loud, and he's always been brash. He's rubbed people the wrong way throughout his career. He was a great, great all-time football player. Maybe the best at his position in the history of the sport at cornerback. And then because he was that sick of an athlete, he decided to take up baseball. And the Yankees drafted him because George Steinbrenner liked stars. He got rushed to the big leagues at a time when the Yankees weren't drawing many fans to put some fans in the seats. And he was more of a sideshow. So you know what he did? He went back to the minors. The Yankees got rid of him. He resurfaced with the Atlanta Braves. And he turned out to be a serviceable and eventually borderline all-star Major League Baseball player. It's a guy who... No matter what he has done throughout his career, most things he has done, he has been successful at. And after he's successful at it, you know what he's going to do? He's going to be the first one to tell you. And that is something that rubs people the wrong way, and that is a reason why a lot of people are rooting against him. And maybe this won't have the happy ending from his perspective that you know we saw yesterday, but I'll tell you, after one game, it was an incredibly loud and impressive statement for the way Deion Sanders is doing things at the University of Colorado. It's going to be one of the great and uh, fun storylines of this college football season. 1-800-919-3776. Mets lineup is out. We'll get you that. Uh, we'll talk more about what we've seen from Ronnie Mauricio and the other Mets prospects so far this weekend. Uh, the Yankees looking for the sweep tonight in Houston. You can hear that game right here on eight seven, And, uh, of course, your calls. Pat O'Keefe with you till to the top of the hour on ESPN New York.
0: You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN.
1: All right, Mets and Yanks both in action for the Mets. The rubber match of their three-game series against Seattle. Important game for the Mariners. It starts at 140 at City Field. Tyler McGill on the mound. George Kirby out of Rye, New York, pitches for the Mariners. Has had a terrific season, was an all-star for the American League. Mets lineup, Nimmo in center field. Francisco Lindor at short. McNeil is in left field again batting third. Alonzo at first base. Daniel Vogelback is the DH batting fifth. DJ Stewart, the red hot DJ Stewart with a 1,010 OPS. He's in right field again batting sixth. Ronnie Mauricio, four for seven in his first two major league games. Bats seventh at second base. Brett Beatty at third base bats eighth. And Francisco Alvarez is behind the plate for Tyler McGill. You know, the one thing that I quibble with here is I want to see everybody every day in the lineup for the Mets. I want to see Beatty every day. I want to see Mauricio every day. And I want to see Mark Vientos every day. There's no reason why you wouldn't play those guys every day. There really isn't. And I want to see Alvarez nearly every day. But he's a catcher, so he needs to take days off. So he's in a different category, just like Austin Wells is with the Yankees. And it seems like that is the Yankees' plan. Like, come hell or high water, the Yankees understand that they have a rare opportunity for the Yankees to take a good, long, hard look at these kids over the course of a month. Seriously, when did the Yankees ever get the chance to do this? The last time was in 2016 with the Baby Bombers because they had traded off Chapman and they had traded off Andrew Miller and Carlos Beltran. And Yvonne Nova, they brought up Judge, uh, they brought up Gary Sanchez, they brought up Tyler Austin, they brought up Luis Severino. Even then, though, that Yankees team, that was when Cashman really dug into the trying to develop those prospects in the major leagues. Because the Yankees were not out of the pennant race that year like they are right now. In fact, that group, led by Gary Sanchez, who was incredible with his 20 home runs in 53 games, that group kept the Yankees on the periphery of the playoff race until, you know, September 20th. one 800 on the Yankees. Luis Severino, who pitched yesterday, uh, not as well as his previous two starts when he did not allow a run in either of them, but... Not terribly either. I mean, Severino, these last three starts, has been a different guy than he was earlier in the season. The one thing Severino has done, I don't think he's going to be back with the Yankees. He's a free agent. Uh, I think it's time for both teams to go their separate ways. The one thing Severino has done for himself these last three starts, he's made himself a lot of money because I think he has taken himself from someone who was on the scrap heap to someone who is still an intriguing young arm. I mean, this guy is still in his 20s. He has been a finalist for the American League Cy Young Award twice. He's been an all-star. You know, he's still an intriguing young arm that somebody could take a chance on and put in the middle or the back of their rotation. A tweak here, a tweak there, and maybe he can— It wasn't that long ago. Last year, he pitched well when he pitched. When he didn't pitch, excuse me, uh, he was hurt a lot, so he didn't pitch a lot, but when he pitched, he pitched well. And then this year, for the most, for the majority of the season, it all came apart for Severino. But these last three starts, he's made himself a lot of money. Most likely not from the Yankees, but probably from some other major league team. He was asked after last night's game if these kids, Dominguez and Wells and Pereira and Peraza and even the old fella, Anthony Volpe, do these kids remind Severino of the 2016 Baby Bombers?
0: I mean, for us in that time, it was just a bunch of young guys who wanted to establish in the big leagues, you know, and willing to do anything it takes to, to stay in the big leagues. And I think uh, those kids are on the same. You know, they want to be here. They want to stay here. And they want to perform well.
1: Severino was one of those Baby Bombers. So was Gary Sanchez. So was Tyler Austin. And the most highly touted of them, was Aaron Judge because he had been a recent first-round draft pick of the Yankees, and he was 6'7", and enormous, and everybody was excited to see him come up to the major leagues. It was probably the most excited Yankee fans have been for a prospect until Jason Dominguez this weekend. So, Judge, does he see any similarities between – these kids in the 2016 group man i think they're better <laughs> you know like, we had some good guys coming up there in 16 and 17 but this group of guys that we have you know just impressive you know their demeanor the way they carry themselves on the field We feel like they've been here you know all year you know it's impressive to see that out of you know guys that young in a tough environment loud environment and they're just you know out there playing some ball so it's pretty cool to see does Judge think that this team has the same energy as the 2016 team? You know, it, it's tough to say because I'm on the different side of it now. You know, before I was the rookie, just trying to come up there and stay out of the way and take care of my business and you know do what I can. And now I get a chance to sit back and watch these guys come up here and, and just take care of business. So you know, they're bringing great energy. Like I said, you know, yesterday you just see them on the bus, get on the bus, through there to the field, in our know, hitters' meetings, in the in the clubhouse, food room. And these guys are, you know, they're hungry and they're ready to go. You look at the 2016 team, the Yankees finished 84 and 78. The wild card teams that year were the Orioles and the Blue Jays, both within their own division. The Yankees were five games out of the wild card race at the end of the 2016 season. So, again, they didn't officially fall out of the race until about the 15th or the 20th of September, whereas this year, by August 20th, August 24th, once their losing streak hit nine consecutive games, they were long gone from the race. But what that 2016 team did is it gave the Yankees hope going forward. It was a disappointing year, but it kind of ended on a high note because you thought you had something in Judge. You thought you had something in Tyler Austin. That didn't ultimately pan out. You really thought you had something in Gary Sanchez, which you did for a couple of years. And you thought you had something with Luis Severino, which you did for five or six years. Unfortunately, he was injured during much of that. Here's Aaron Boone after yesterday's game, a second straight win for his Yankees against the Astros. Yeah, really good. I mean, that the one inning, obviously, you know, we couldn't hit that back-breaking blow tonight, but we, a lot of really, really competitive at-bats, you know, with the bottom of the order there, working some tough at-bats against Brown to, you know, walk in a run and obviously judge you with the big swing. But just, you know, those are the kind of at-bats we want. We want to make it hard on them, you know, on every given night when we can. Again, whether you score a bunch or whether you struggle struggling tonight, make it tough on them. And, and I thought the, the amount of competitive at-bats tonight from guys was really good. Judge has 31 home runs now. He is in sole possession of 10th place on the Yankees' all-time home run list. This weekend, he tied and then surpassed Greg Nettles to move into 10th by himself. And up next on that list, the other recent Yankees captain, Derek Jeter, who hit 260 home runs as a Yankee. I wouldn't put it past Judge to catch him by the end of this year. I really wouldn't. Um, Look, the kids have been – they haven't – Embarrass themselves. They've actually shown you a little something. Um, Dominguez's first at-bat was something he'll remember for the rest of his life and you hope that Yankee fans remember it as fondly as they do Judge's first Major League at-bat. There's a lot of parallels there. But more than anything for me, what the presence of Wells and Dominguez in particular and then you add to that Pereira and Peraza being in the lineup and Anthony Volpe continuing to be in the lineup, what that has done for me is it has just seemed like it's given the rest of the roster, Judge and Stanton and DJ LeMayhew, a little extra bounce in their step. An infusion of youth and energy and athleticism and exuberance is usually not a bad thing. Now the next step is to carry it forward. For two games, it's great, but you would love to see the Yankees sustain some semblance of what they've gotten these last two games in Houston. It continues tonight as the Yankees look for their first three-game sweep since they swept the Kansas City Royals at Yankee Stadium in the middle of July. But this one, if they were to complete it in Houston over an Astros team that is fighting for the American League West, this potential three-game sweep would be far more impressive. Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 ESPN New York.
0: You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. All
1: right, a couple more minutes. Again, Larry Hardesty coming your way at 12 o'clock. Golf Zone Social is an indoor golf simulator. With 22 hitting bays in a family-friendly sports bar environment, it's the perfect place to tee it up for birthday parties, team-building events, and friendly get-togethers. So here's your chance right now to score a $100 Golf Zone Social Hitting Bay reservation credit. Just be caller number 10 right now at 888-987-ESPN. It's all thanks to Golf Zone Social, the most social experience in golf. Cheers to food, cheers to golf, and cheers to fun. Pat O'Keefe with you for a few more minutes. A couple more thoughts on the first really full weekend of the college football season. Caleb Williams, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, who right now is the presumptive number one pick in the NFL draft next year, the quarterback for USC. He is has already thrown nine touchdown passes. They've played the extra game. They played last week in week zero. USC's 2-0. Oh. Caleb Williams has thrown nine touchdown passes already. And, you know, maybe he's the guy. It's funny how, look, Archie Griffin, the Ohio State running back who won the Heisman Trophy in 1974, 1975, he's become kind of a mythical figure in sports because the Heisman Trophy is still a very, very big deal. It's still one of the most prestigious individual awards that an athlete, professional or collegiate, can receive. And... To this day, Archie Griffin remains the only man to ever win the award twice. He won it in 74. He came back. He won it in 75. And over the last even more than a decade, you know, the first guy who I thought would have a real chance to win it a second time was Tim Tebow. And you go through the last 10 or 15 years of guys who have won it as underclassmen and had another chance. To win it, Johnny Manziel won it as a freshman. He was the first freshman to win it. If you watch the Manziel documentary on Netflix, well, if you haven't, I would recommend you do so because it was really interesting. And if you did watch it, well, you can easily learn why he didn't win the Heisman Trophy a second time. But then Jameis Winston won it as a freshman the next year. Clearly. You thought he'd be the next one to win it back-to-back years, but he was upended by Marcus Mariota, who had a terrific year for the University of Oregon. Uh, other guys recently, when Lamar Jackson won it as a sophomore at Louisville, um, you thought he had a chance to come back and do it. Bryce Young, two years ago, won it as a sophomore at Alabama. He didn't win it last year. I think Caleb Williams, and look, has a long way to go. Caleb Williams, to me, seems like he might have the best shot to win back-to-back Heisman Trophies for the first time since Archie Griffin did it in 1974-1975. One other note on the University of Colorado, just to confirm that stat that I had said, their win yesterday over TCU snapped a 27-game losing streak on the road against top 20 opponents. And to do it in that fashion... Under that microscope, with all of the preseason hype, and let's be honest, so many people rooting against them to succeed and going on the road and doing it. I know that TCU is not the same team that went to the college football playoff last year that beat Michigan in the national semifinal to get to the championship. I know it's not the same team, but they're months removed from playing in the national championship game. And for them to lose to Colorado – on their home field, to open up the season. Again, an incredibly impressive statement for Coach Prime and the Colorado Buffaloes. Earlier in the show, um, I had asked the question, and I will try to answer it next, which New York team, Jets or Giants, needs to win its week one game more? We'll talk about that next on 98.7 ESPN New York.
0: You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN.
1: Tom Bauer and Harvey Cruz, great job producing the show today. The great Jimmy Buffett, to wrap things up, passed away this weekend after just an incredible life and an incredible career and an incredible impact on pop culture. So rest in peace, the great Jimmy Buffett. Great show today. I want to thank all the callers for your contributions. As always, Patty Tranda talking giants, Brian Hoke, talking Yankees and some hope from Hoke talking about the Yankees, which has been very rare during this summer. Um, so this time next week, I'm very excited. I just, during the commercial break, I started to get even more excited uh, thinking that this will be my last show. I'll be back on next Saturday afternoon, three to six thirty, right in the middle of a football weekend. Um, Hope you can join me. But this will be my last Sunday show before the start of the NFL season. And, you know, it's always a challenging time to bridge the gap, especially if the baseball teams are kind of doing what the baseball teams in New York have done this summer. Uh, Like we've said repeatedly this morning, though, a little bit of positive news for both the Yankees and the Mets, at least something to get excited about and hang your hat on uh, this weekend with the call-ups. And not only the call-ups on both sides, but the call-ups playing well, most notably Mauricio and Dominguez and Wells. And look, the Yankees, the Mets looked okay even after the trade deadline. I think the Mets gave you, not that the Yankees weren't giving you an effort, but the Mets were feisty and fighting even after the trade deadline with a seriously depleted roster. I mean, you got to remember, Brian Cashman only made one minor acquisition at the trade deadline, which actually ended up being a very good trade. He's good at those sneaky under-the-radar trades that you don't think much of initially. But Keenan Middleton's been awesome for the Yankees, but he certainly didn't move the needle. The Yankees didn't sell anything off, so you would expect the Mets to take a step back because they traded away a lot of talent at the deadline. Yankees didn't do anything like that, yet they continued to play poorly. The Mets really didn't change their level of play after the deadline. The guys who are here were fighting and were feisty. But for the Yankees, because August was such a rough month, what they've done at least these last two games against a high-quality opponent has been impressive. So we'll see how long both teams can continue and how long that will keep your attention as a fan of either team. So a week from right now, We'll be about an hour away from most of the NFL season kicking off. We'll have to wait a little bit longer for our New York teams. That's what happens when you have teams that play often in prime time. Next Sunday night, Giants and Cowboys. Next Monday night, the Jets and the Buffalo Bills, which you could hear on 98.7 ESPN New York. So I asked which of the two teams needs to win in week one more. And to me, the answer is pretty clear. And the answer is the Jets. Because there's a a somewhat scary scenario with the Jets that if Buffalo comes in here a week from tomorrow on national television in prime time and beats the Jets, and that is going to set off some panic alarms, especially if the Jets don't look like a good team. If they can't protect Aaron Rodgers, if the defense isn't as good as advertised, if Josh Allen goes up and down the field. And the biggest reason for that... You know, you can point to all of the pauses of the Jets. The quarterback, the defense, the defensive line, Sauce Gardner, the wide receivers led by Garrett Wilson. But the biggest question mark I think that either team has, outside of offensive line play, and there's question marks there for both teams, outside of offensive line play, the biggest question mark I think that exists for either of the two New York football teams is the head coach of the New York Jets. If you're the Giants and you lose on Sunday night to a good Cowboys team, I think you're comfortable that Brian Dayball has a good handle on what this team needs to do. And then the other part of that equation is this. Week two, the Giants go to Arizona. So the Cardinals might just be the worst team in the NFL this season, and the Giants get them at a great time because the only thing they'll have worth watching or being scared of this year – would be Kyler Murray if and when he returns from his injury. But Murray's not going to be back. So the Giants don't have to worry about him in Week 2. But if the Jets get out of the gates with a loss to the Buffalo Bills and then on a short week have to go to Dallas and then host New England, who the Jets recently don't beat, and then have to host Kansas City, and then go to Denver, and then have to host Philadelphia, I mean, there is a scenario they could be 2-4 and at the bye week. Now, I don't expect that to happen. It most certainly shouldn't happen. But are we 100% sure in the capabilities of Robert Sala as the head coach of this Jets team? I don't think you're 100% sure of anything in life. I don't even think people are 100% sure that Bill Belichick is the best man to be leading the Patriots at this stage in his career. But... It's a pretty high number of those who do feel that way. I think that Giants fans are pretty secure. Whatever happens in week one, I think Giants fans are pretty secure in what they have in their head coach and Brian Dayball, their defensive coordinator and Wink Martindale, and even their quarterback and Daniel Jones. And there's no question about the Jets' quarterback. You know, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be good. I think Aaron Rodgers took a step back last year, but you have to realize what he took a step back from. Last year, Aaron Rodgers took a step back from having won the MVP in the previous two seasons. Anyone is bound to take a step back, and the relationship between he and the Packers had grown stale. It was time for them to move in their own directions, and they ultimately did. I think all of that contributed to the quote-unquote offseason that he had last year. I think Aaron Rodgers, as long as he can be protected, is going to be absolutely fine. But the biggest concern I have about this Jets team is the head coach. And if the Jets get off to a slow start, look, we had a caller on Friday night who made a very astute point, And it was a simple point. He said, with all the hype and the quarterback and all the expectations, beat Buffalo in week one. It's simple. Beat Buffalo in week one. You're home. I don't think the Bills are better than they were last year. And guess what? You beat Buffalo at home last year with Zach Wilson as your starting quarterback. So what's different this year? Now you have Aaron Rodgers as your starting quarterback. And I'm not putting everything on Aaron Rodgers. I'm fairly confident he's going to do his job. But the rest of the team, from the head coach all the way down, has to do their jobs. And if they get off to a slow start, if they lose... To Buffalo and then go to Dallas and they lose to the Cowboys on the road and now you're 0-2 and Bill Belichick's coming to town on Sunday, September 24th? Do we have ultimate confidence that this head coach is going to get them back on the right track? And that's the only thing, the biggest thing that gives me pause. Have a great rest of your Labor Day weekend, everyone.